was tell, telling Miss Joanne the other day, uh, her sister, Miss uh, uh, Pammy, went home to be with the Lord, what, about a year, a little over, about two years ago now. Uh, and uh, she loved Kleenexes. If you had a Kleenex box around, she would sit there and just pull them out all day long. And uh, Wednesday night, I was standing up here preaching and uh, went to grab a Kleenex, and it was empty. And all of a sudden, just in the middle of preaching, my mind's on the message. I thought of Miss, Miss Pammy as she was uh, probably trying to get some uh, Kleenexes one of these times, and it was empty out there in the, in the auditorium. And uh, she just came to heart and came to mind. And uh, sometimes I don't know why, why little things like that will trigger a thought or a memory. But uh, isn't it wonderful to have uh, friends that have gone on before that we uh, had the joy of knowing in our lifetime and the memories that we get to have with those? I thought I was telling somebody the other day, uh, one of the wonderful things about life is that God allows us to make wonderful memories uh, this side of heaven. And it's one of the joys we get to have on this side of heaven. And uh, I look forward to the day that we get to see him again in heaven, but uh, it's going to be different there. Um, and uh, we look forward to those times. But the memories that we have now are certainly precious, and uh, what a joy that was. So just wanted to, to mention that to you because it just kind of popped out of the blue that Wednesday night. I was sitting there trying to get a, na- uh, a Kleenex and thought of Pammy. So Psalm 7, if you will. Psalm 7. <clears throat> Psalm 7 is uh, a psalm of David uh, pleading his cause to the Lord because of the persecution uh, of a man by the name of uh, uh, Cush, or Kish, um, depending on the spelling that you find in Scripture. You find it spelled two ways. Um, And uh, Cush, Cush, as is known usually in the Bible uh, at the top of this one, was uh, serving in the court of King Saul. And was very close to the king and had apparently, according to this psalm, it seems like had uh, caused some slander uh, against David in the ears of Saul. And so, of course, uh, Saul already at this point uh, was very jealous of David. It didn't take much for him to, to think ill of David. And so Cush had uh, kind of come against David and a number of other people had been slandering him, talking about him. And so this psalm uh, is a prayer that David prays asking for God to intervene on his behalf in this area uh, of the slander uh, that was coming. And uh, one person has called it uh, the psalm of the slandered saint. Uh, and so if you ever go through a time where people are talking ill about you, maybe Psalm 7 would be a good psalm to read. Um, and uh, certainly something that David could identify with. Uh, it can be broken down into three basic uh, sections. The first one is verses 1 to 9, David's cry to God. Uh, verses uh, 10 to 16, David's confidence in God. And then verse number 17, David's commitment to God. Uh, So three different things. One to nine, David's cry. Verses 10 to 16, David's confidence. And verse number 17, David's commitment. This is a lyrical poem. Um, It... uh, invoked a lot of strong emotion, and you'll see as we read through here uh, some phraseology that's being used, and I think Brother Harold and I might have been having this discussion here a few weeks ago, that sometimes in the Psalms there's language that's used that seemingly may be in conflict with other scriptures, um, and you've got to keep in mind that these are written as um, lyrical poems, are written as uh, psalms to sing, 
and they are using a lot of artistic language, uh, if you will. And we're going to look at some of that today and explain uh, how you can see these things and how you can understand them. We believe in a very literal interpretation of Scripture. You don't need to over-spiritualize things. Uh, And as long as the plain sense makes perfect sense, uh, then you don't need to seek any other sense. So we we believe in that. Uh, But there are times that you may scratch your head and be like, well, what does that mean? And uh, this is one of those psalms we'll see here in a few moments that there's uh, one specific uh, verse in this psalm uh, that is going to use some language that uh, we're going to maybe scratch our heads and be like, well, why is he praying that? Um, But uh, very important to see that. Let's start in verse number one, if you will. We're going to read down through the uh, psalm, and then we'll go back and uh, point out some of the lessons that we can learn from it. Again, we find these, uh, this great expression of, Oh, Lord. And so whenever David is crying out to God, uh, oftentimes we see this, uh, this exclamatory word. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a show of emotion. It's a cry of God. And um, there are some times that uh, when we show emotion outwardly, uh, our voices are more intense. Maybe tears are shed or maybe our voices are raised or maybe they're lowered um, because the emotion is so strong. Uh, many people have said that this word O oh, is uh, similar to a groan of agony or a groan of intense uh, emotion. Um, and, and I think it does us well to note this, uh, that oftentimes when David is crying out to God, he's doing so with strong emotion. Uh, this is something of great uh, concern to David. And I fear sometimes that when we come to the Lord in prayer, we come to him uh, flippantly, uh, maybe shallowly and without effect, effectual ferventness uh, of our hearts. Um, and so the psalmist is crying out, and he says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands... If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that, was, that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. And awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge uh, the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows, ordained his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. As we get into the plea that David makes, I want you to note, first of all, that he addresses God as my 
God. What a great phrase. Uh, I remember as I read through the Old Testament oftentimes that um, when uh, Isaac and Jacob uh, pray uh, and their prayers are recorded in Scripture, there's a point in their life where they are referring to uh, the God of their father. And, And then at some point they change their prayer to where it says, My God. And there is a difference Uh, there is a difference between believing in a God of someone else and believing that God is our God. We have a personal connection with Him. We have a personal relationship with Him. We've trusted Him as our Savior. We commune with Him. And a lot of people, if you ask them today, uh, do you believe in God, they'll say yes. Do you know Him? Yes. And what they mean by that is they've heard of Him. They know a lot about Him. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people who will say they know God uh, don't have a personal relationship with Him, don't have a personal walk with Him. And here the psalmist is claiming this relationship. He's putting this out to God and saying, Lord, uh, you're not just a God, you're not just the God, but you're my God. And there ought to be a heartfelt idea in our hearts as God's people, as those that have trusted Christ, that this isn't just the God or a God, but he is our God. He is not only our God, but he is personally my God. He's the God that I have trusted. He's the one that has given His love and His forgiveness and His mercy to me. And there's a lot to that. As the psalmist comes and he pleads his case because of the fact that this is his God. And he says, O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. And uh, he doesn't uh, rely on anyone else or anything else than God. In other words, this uh, this was a need or a concern uh, that was so great in his life that only God had the remedy. Now, it's interesting that we say that phrase, that there are certain needs in our lives that only God can have the remedy to. But the truth of the matter is, God's commanded us that we're to cast how much of our care upon Him? All of it. There are some things in this life, uh, is there not, that we can look at and we can say, Lord, I don't need you on this one. I think I can handle this problem. Been there? A lot of us do that. And yet the truth of the matter is we ought to come to Him with everything. We ought to come to Him with every need, with every burden, with every problem. He ought to be the center of our life. He ought to be on the throne of our hearts. He ought to be uh, not just one of the list of the priority. He ought to be the entire list of it. That there's not anything in our life on our priority list that is not affected by Him and our relationship with Him. He says, in thee do I put my trust. He doesn't trust anything else. And he goes on to say this. He says, save me from them. And this is an expression of his trust. He says, save me from all of them that persecute me. Now, he's going to refer to specifically one person in verse 2. But when he makes this plea to God, he says, not only this one person I'm getting ready to mention, but anyone that would do this to me, I'm asking you to save me from them. And then he says this, and deliver me. Now, I, I look at this, and, and you may read this a little bit differently. I'm going to tell you how I've read this. And again, I think this is easily seen in this verse. If you differ with me on this one, I'm not going to split hairs with you on it. But it looks to me, it seems to me, that when David cries out, Lord, save me, it's saying, Lord, I have a present need. There's something that is currently going on in my life, and I need your deliverance from that. But not only is he asking for him to save him from what is happening right now, but then he says, and deliver me. And I kind of get the idea from this idea that he puts this in as a secondary thing because wouldn't save and deliver be the same thing? Why would he have to do both? And I I, I wondered and I pondered that. I thought, well, why would he say save me and deliver me? Aren't they the same? Aren't they one and the same? 
and so my thought was this, and I, I think I think we're pretty accurate on this, that when he cries for him to save him, it's, Lord, there's something that's going on right now. I need you to save me from it. And not only do I want you to save me from this, but I want you to deliver me from it in the future. That anything else that may come my way, I need you to deliver me from that. Now, again, if you differ on that idea, that's fine. Uh, we'll know when we get to heaven if that's what he meant by it or not. But it is interesting that he asks for both things. He doesn't say save me or deliver me, but he says save and deliver. Uh, and th- there needs to be a reason for that. God wasn't just trying to fill up his book with words. Uh, so there needs to be some reason for that. And it seems to me like there is, is some idea within the chapter of being delivered from those that were doing uh, harm at that time and those that would continue to do harm in the future. Uh, and so I believe that's what that's dealing with as we get to that part of verse number 1. <clears throat> I want you to notice verse 2 because he uses some very strong language here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. There's three strong statements here in verse 2 that I think are worth looking at. It's not a foe that is attacking him physically. David certainly knew what that felt like. He'd already had uh, Saul try to kill him. He'd already had other people that have gone out after him to try to kill him. And he knew what it was like to have his life threatened. But he wasn't worried about his life in this instance. He was worried about his soul. Notice what it says here. He says, lest he tear my soul like a lion. Can I tell you, there's an awful lot of pain in the fact that someone tries to harm you physically. But there is no deeper pain than when someone tries to destroy your soul. When they try to hurt you in the innermost part of your being. And it's interesting that you can take a lot of physical abuse. And it won't hurt nearly as bad as when someone can say some things that hurt you in the soul. And this man's attacking him. And this guy is persecuting him by his words. He's not coming after him physically. And David says, lest he's asking for the salvation of the Lord. He's asking for the deliverance from the Lord. Lest he tear my soul and rend it in pieces. I want us to look at a couple passages. Hold your place here in Psalm 7. <clears throat> Let's turn first, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, and he's talking about in verse 23. He says, When they persecute you in this city, flee into another, for verily I say unto you, shall not have gone over the city, you shall not have gone over the cities of Jerusalem until the Son of Man be come. The disciples not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. So we're dealing here with the fact that the disciples were going to see persecution. Some of it was going to be verbal, some of it was going to be physical. And he says in verse number twenty five, it is enough the disciple that he bears for the disciple that he bears that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear not them, uh, fear not therefore, fear them not therefore, excuse me, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. So he says, doesn't matter what they say. Verse number 25, he says, they're going to maybe uh, even say that you're the children of Beelzebub. And they're going to accuse you of these things. 
And uh, verse 27, it says, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. What you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the roof to, or the housetops. And fear not them, speaking of these that are persecuting them, which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And here he's saying the importance of the soul is so much more than the importance of the body. And it is one thing for somebody to persecute us physically. It's a whole other thing when they do something in such a way that it cuts to the very quick of our soul. And it can cause a person to turn from serving the Lord. It can cause a person to become very bitter. It can cause a person to uh, forsake um, the fellowship of God's people. It can cause someone to forsake their walk with God and the Lord, this side of heaven. And if it's an unsaved person, it can cause someone to never even come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ simply by something that is said. Now, David is making a plea here. And I would say that there are two lessons we can learn from this. First of all, when someone does come against us and, and say something against us, we're going to see David's response. And I believe it's important for us as God's people to respond to this type of persecution the way David does. But secondly, I think we can learn this. Let's be sure that we are careful of our words. That we're not the ones that are cutting someone to the soul. It's so important because we don't realize sometimes that the things we say are so much more inclined to cause harm to a person's soul than anything we can do to them physically. We've got to be so careful of this. Look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter number 12, just over a few pages from where we're at currently. Proverbs chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse number 18. There is that speaketh. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a what? Sword. But the tongue of the wise is health. Be careful what you say. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse number 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the what? In the spirit. It's not affecting the body. It's affecting the inner man. Now let's go back to Psalm 7 for a moment. And David is pleading to God for this persecution that's taking place. This one that's speaking badly about him. He says, lest he, I need to be saved from it. I need to be delivered from it. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces. And then he makes this statement, while there is none to deliver. David looks around and there was no one to stand in defense of him. At the time of the writing of this psalm, when Cush comes out and slanders David before Saul, nobody came up to David's defense. Nobody stood up and said, Saul, Cush uh, is lying about that. I know David, and he's, he's not that way. Nobody came to his defense. And it's very easy sometimes for you and I to feel like there is nobody to defend me in this case. I've done rightly. I've been wrongly slandered. I'm being persecuted. Where are the people that are supposed to stand up for me and help defend me? David felt that way. What was his remedy? He goes to the Lord. In verse number 3, he cries out again. He says, O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, 
If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. But he said, if I've done these things, let the enemy persecute my soul. Not only do I want him to take my soul, but notice what it says here. Not only do I want him to persecute my soul, he says, and take it and let him tread down upon my life, upon the earth, and lay mine honor in the dust. And then he says, Selah, this is a pause where you stop and reflect on what was said. What he's telling in, in verse 2 is, I, I, there's nobody to deliver me. So, Lord, I need you to stand as the judge of my cause. And so from verse number 3 to verse number 5, he's saying, Lord, I want you to judge me. I want you to be my defense. And he says, I, if I've done this, if there's iniquity there, if I've done this wrongly, then let him persecute me. In fact, Lord, don't even just let him persecute me. Let him take my life. Now, that's something more than this persecutor was doing, wasn't it? And then he said this, not only do I want you to take my life, I want you to take my honor. My soul, my life, my honor. Lord, you're my judge. You're the one that I need to stand in defense of me. Now, I'm going to give a word of warning here. Before you pray a prayer like that, you better make sure you have a pure heart. You better make sure that you are right with the Lord in these areas. The Bible tells us that if we're going to be persecuted, let's not be persecuted for evil. Let's be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Back in the, back in the 1700s, 1753, this is a true story. There was a lady by the name of Ruth Pierce. And Ruth Pierce uh, went to the market to buy some corn with two other women. And they put their order in, and when it came time to pay the order, uh, they each were going to pay, pay a share of the amount uh, that they had agreed to. And the two others paid their share, and then they turned to her and said, Ruth, uh, we need your share. And she said, I've already paid it. paid it. And she made this quote. She said, I wish that I might drop dead if I have not. And immediately while those two ladies were watching, she fell down dead with the money still found hidden in her hand. You say, well, that may or may not have been coincidental. I will say this. You don't trifle with asking God to be your judge without a right heart. David was certain of his innocence. He said, Lord, you're the one that searches the heart and trieth the reins. And I want you to try me. If this man's right, then let him judge me. Let, let, let him take my soul. Let him take my life. Let him take my honor. And this is the plea that David is giving. He's asking for God to stand in his defense, to, to stand in his defense, to judge his heart, to look at David and say, David, you're not wrong in this area. You've done well. You've done rightly. The Bible speaks of another illustration of this true story. In the early church, there were a husband and wife that, again, tried to deceive. Did they not? And Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter asked them, said, did you sell the money for this amount? Or did you sell this land for this amount? And they said, yes, we did. And God struck them dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. You don't trifle with God judging you. But when you're righteous, when you have a pure conscience, 
And we need to sometimes say, Lord, I need you to be my defense. I need you to plead my cause. I need you to check my heart and establish that I am right in it. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, he needs not fear the curse whose soul is clear of guilt. David is pleading God to judge him just as much as he's going to plead for God to judge the ungodly man. And by the way, I don't think we should ever pray for God to judge the ungodly until we first go to him and said, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. As he finishes up this, this statement in verse number 5, as he says, if there is guilt in me, if I've done this thing, then let him persecute me. Let him take my soul. Let him take my life. Let him take my honor. Then he says, verse number 6, and this is that verse I was talking to about earlier in the, in the, the lesson. He says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. Now, we find three things that David pleads for God to do. He says, Lord, I want you, first of all, to arise. Secondly, I want you to lift up thyself. And thirdly, I want you to awake. Now, I hope we all understand here that God does not rest. God does not, um, he's not slumbering. He's not asleep. He's not away on a journey. So why is David praying these things? And this is some of that language I was telling you about earlier where it seems that he uses some very flowery, very, uh, very strong language. But notice how he speaks of this in verse number 6. He says, Arise, O Lord, and not just, Lord, you're asleep, I need you to wake up. But he's saying, Arise, O Lord, what? In thine anger. In other words, Lord, there's a holy and a righteous anger that you have towards sin. I need you to, I need you to stir that up. I need that to, to rise up within you. He says, lift up thyself because of the, here it is again, the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So he's asking them to do those three things based upon his righteous judgment, his anger is towards sin, and the indignation, the wrath that he's uh, promised that he would pour out on this sin. And David says, Lord, it's time. You need to go ahead and do that. Now, it's very important that we understand a very good lesson from this verse. God's silence during the time of wickedness is the patience of His long-suffering. We should never, never mistake it as He is condoning or is winking at or is not bothered by the sinful nature of men. His silence during the time of wickedness is His patient long-suffering. Sometimes the saints weary of it. In fact, just a couple psalms ago, we saw that David wrote, How long, O Lord? In Revelation, the saints that had been martyred, they cry out to God in Revelation chapter 6, How long wilt thou not avenge us? How long is it going to be before judgment is poured out? How long? I've taught on this before, and I think it's very important that we know this and we learn this. And by way of remembrance, let's do this very quickly. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of verses here again. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Peter addresses this very clearly. If you have time this afternoon, 
to read through Second Peter, the entire chapter 3, I, I would encourage you to read it prayerfully and thoughtfully because he addresses this issue very, very clearly in this passage. But in chapter 3, for sake of time, we're going to look at verse number 4. And again, you can come back and read the chapter for its context later, but it is within the context. And we're going to pull out the key parts of it here. He says, and saying, and speaking of these scoffers that are going to be in the last days, he says, and these scoffers, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're scoffing, saying, you keep saying God's judgment's coming. Where is it? You've been saying this ever since the fathers were alive, and now they're dead and gone, and he still hasn't come. Where is it? And they're scoffing at it. They're scoffing at the very long-suffering and mercy of a gracious God, and they don't even realize it. They're just scoffing in doubt. Now look at verse number 9. Peter says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. If God said it, it's going to happen. If God tells us in the book of Revelation that He's going to pour out His wrath without mixture, that means without His mercy tempering it, then you can rest assured His wrath is going to be poured out without mixture on the ungodly and the unrighteous. He's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering to usward. Not willing, this is His reasoning for it, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, even the, the wicked, the ungodly, those that would persecute us, you know that God has a burden for them to be saved? He has a longing in His heart for them to trust Him as their Savior. And He is graciously granting them mercy during this time that we may grow weary of His long-suffering. But He has a purpose. Look at verse number uh, 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be what? Not only the world, but the works that are therein. The wrath of God is coming. It's going to happen. You can rest assured He's not slack concerning His promises, but He is long-suffering. Now look with me in verse number 15. Let's back up to verse 14 so we can get it. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. And... Account that the long-suffering of our Lord, this would be dealing with those that are the scoffers, those that are the persecutors, if you will, those that are the ungodly, the wicked. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now back to Psalm 7 for a moment. The psalmist in verse 6 says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. In other words, Lord, it's time for your justice to be poured out. Now, this is David's opinion of it. He says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. And again, understanding what David is asking for here, he's not saying, Lord, <clears throat> you're up there asleep. He's saying your judgment has been long-suffering. I'm wearying of this. Can you hurry up with it? That's what he's praying for. It's no different than the prayer that uh, the saints in Revelation 6 are praying as they cried out, How long, O Lord? How long? In verse number 7, he says, So the congregation of the people can pass thee about 
for their sakes, therefore return thou on high. And what David is saying is, Lord, if you'll show that your justice is being poured out, there will be a lot more people that will come to you. And they'll start asking you to help save and deliver them from these persecutors as well. The Lord shall judge the people. David is confident of this. The Lord shall judge the people. But notice he says this, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. Lord, you know whether I've done what Cush has said I've done or not. I know you're going to judge all people, but I want you to judge me. I want you to understand. I want you to stand in my defense. He says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. There are a lot of things that we can appear to be outwardly. But what David is asking God to judge is the inner man, that which man cannot see. It's one of those prayers that we need to really ponder. Because it's one of those prayers that is a very dangerous prayer to pray, but is so needful in our lives. It's one that we need to say, Lord, I need you to judge my heart. Because the day we live in, it seems that people are very good at putting on outwardly what people expect to see from them. And very little of what the heart should be. We're living in a day where even churches are teaching and preaching their congregations, just clean up the outside, just, just, just your life will be good, and, and don't worry about a whole lot of things. Just, just tell people you love the Lord, let's all be happy, let's all love one another. No, it matters what the heart is. It does matter. God sees it. And it ought to be something that even though it is a scary thing for us to do sometimes, we need to say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. If there is, let me know about it. Let me get that right. If there's not, then Lord, I pray that You would stand in my defense. And when those persecutors come, let my life, my testimony, my character, and Your defense stand in my stead. Our testimonies ought to be such that when the ungodly try to condemn or persecute or criticize us, there would be no evidence for them to stand on. Sad to say, in the world we live in today, we often give them the evidence they need. He says in verse 10, My defense is of God which saveth the upright in heart. There it is. The key to the whole verse of this whole passage so far is verse number 10. My defense is of God which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword, and hath bent his so he hath bent his bow and made it ready. So hath also uh, he hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. God is standing poised and ready for judgment at any moment it could begin. But he's long suffering. The reason he hasn't come back yet is because of his mercy. It's long-suffering for those that are ungodly, those that are wicked, those that are unsaved, hoping and praying that they will come to Him. He says, if He turn not, if He doesn't change His ways, if He doesn't turn to God, then the judgment will come. The sword's already sharpened. It's already wet. 
He's already bent the bow. He's already made it ready. The bow is strung. The arrows are already ordained. God's judgment stands imminent. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth his falsehood. These persecutors, these wicked men, are so full of their iniquity that it pains them as they wait for their iniquity to be acted upon. They literally anguish over trying to do iniquity. That they cannot do it quickly enough. They cannot do it as readily enough. It says, He travaileth with iniquity, hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. His violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. Rest assured, the consequences of sin will be felt. I'm thankful that I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin in hell. But rest assured that we oftentimes bear the marks of the consequences of our sin. And while God has delivered our soul from the penalty of sin, many times our life bears the marks. We've got to be so careful of this. And then David ends with this. He says, I will praise the Lord. I love the way he says this. According to His righteousness... And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David is coming to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you've promised justice. I know that the justice is there. I know that the the wrath is coming on those that don't turn to you. And he's, he's saying, Lord, it's time for you to go ahead and do that. Arise. I need you to go ahead and lift yourself up because of thine anger, the rage of thine enemies. Awake for me to judgment. But at the end of his prayer, David says... I will praise the Lord according to His what? Righteousness. In other words, Lord, it's not necessarily your justice that I'm going to have to give the thanks for because whether you choose to bring it about now or not, I will still praise You for who You are. He doesn't say I will praise You for Your justice, although that's what He's praying for. He said I'll praise You for Your righteousness. I'll sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I'm going to praise you just because you're God. And if you choose to answer my prayer the way that I've petitioned and asked, that'll be great. But Lord, I'll praise you anyway. It'd be a wonderful thing if when we come to the Lord in prayer, as we state our need, our petition to the Lord, our want, our desire, our burden, to say, but Lord, whatever the outcome is, I will still praise you. For who you are. Great psalm that helps us to know and how to respond the way that David did. David said, I don't need to try to give a defense of myself and there's no one else to give defense for me. So I'm going to go to the Lord and ask Him to judge me. I'm going to ask Him to be my defense. And may this be our response. May this be our desire. There's going to come some persecution. The Bible says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to have it. Satan hates the things of God. He hates the people of God. He hates the children of God. There's going to come persecution. How should we handle it? It's a great psalm that helps us to understand how we should handle this. We let God be our defense. 
And isn't it interesting that nowhere in that psalm do you find David saying, Lord, let me take vengeance upon them. He asks the Lord to do it. He says, Lord, you be the judge. You be the judge. As God's people, I'm amazed at how often when someone does us wrong, we want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner of our wrath. And the truth of the matter is we need to do as David did and say there is no man that is there for my defense. Lord, I just need you. I'll let you handle it. I'll let you take care of them. Bring your justice upon them. I'm going to let you handle it from this point on. And then, Lord, I will praise you. I will praise you. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for your word, how wise it is. And, Lord, even just the truth of it that so often flies in the face of what our thoughts and our will is, but helps us to understand the the heart that you have 